Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Welcome, everyone. My name is Tim Mosier, your host today for Real Presence Live, coming at you from the Fargo office right here in downtown Fargo, between the railroad tracks and the cathedral. That's where we are. Looking around, I see Therese there producing. Hey, Therese. That always have such a nice smiling face. And looking out the window of the studio, I see happy birthday, Eli. That's right, Eli. Another one of our producers is 21. Oh, my goodness. As I was telling them as I was coming in, I'm now no longer three times as old as you. I'm about 60, and so now the 21 puts C. So I'll never be three times as old as you again, Eli. So <laughs> happy birthday. That's wonderful. Hey, we have a great show planned for you today. We have Maureen Ferguson coming up in just a minute from the Catholic Association. Uh, great, great thinker. Wrote some great articles. We're going to talk about one in particular as it um, relates to Roe versus Wade and women. And, of course, we have many other guests as well. But as always, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many gifts you give us, the gift of life, the gift of your Son and the Holy Spirit, the gift of the church and the sacraments. Open our hearts and our minds to the beauty of being made in your image and likeness, every single person, and what that means, and how we should live. Bless our guests, bless our time. We put this at the feet of our Blessed Mother, and pray for her powerful intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Queen of love and life, Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our first guest this morning is Maureen Ferguson. She's a senior fellow for the Catholic Association, a frequent speaker and commentator on Catholic issues in the public square, particularly on the pro-life movement, religious freedom, and the family. Welcome to Real Presence Radio, Maureen. Hi there. It's great to be on with you this morning. Oh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Marina, i got to be honest with you. I had not heard of the Catholic Association before we started uh, thinking about this interview, so I'm a little curious about that. But before we do that, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your family, and how you got involved with the Catholic Association. Sure. Well, I am a mother of five children, uh, but before I had children, I was very involved in the pro-life movement, and I was the lobbyist, the chief lobbyist and spokesperson for the National Right to Life Committee. So I spent many years in Washington on Capitol Hill advocating for the unborn. Um, I then got married. Um, I, I kept involved in political and pro-life things uh, because my husband was actually a congressman for eight years, so we... Um, you know, we stayed quite involved. My husband was a strong advocate for the unborn during his time on Capitol Hill. So so I was a stay-at-home mom for many years, but um, just kept up on things. And 
I guess what prompted me to kind of get back involved in a professional way was the Obamacare contraceptive mandate forcing groups like the Little Sisters of the Poor to pay for contraception in their health care plans. And this just struck me as terribly un-American, and it prompted me to get back involved more on religious liberty issues at that point. Um, So I joined the Catholic Association, and we are a group of women who write and speak and um, just sort of are a voice for many of these Catholic issues in the public square, whether it's religious liberty or threats to the family or uh, the right to life issue. Uh, We um, are just a voice for uh, the Catholic Church in the public square, a lay voice. We're all uh, lay people involved in the Catholic Association. So um, so that is how I came to write this opinion piece in USA Today um, that we're going to chat about on the uh, huge Supreme Court case that is coming up in this Supreme Court term. Absolutely. We're talking with Maureen Ferguson from the Catholic Association here. Uh, I love that, the Catholic Association, just one of the many ways that we're following Pope John Paul II's call for the new evangelization. So thank you for responding to that call, Maureen. Appreciate that. Well, well I, I love it. It's, um, it's a great way, you know, mothers today have so many more options to mm-hmm. contribute professionally because there's so much that we can do from home and I was able to work from home uh, before the pandemic, and I feel like now that we've had, you know, a year and a half of the pandemic, so many people have figured out how to work from home. So hopefully this um, will lead to a new era of mothers being able to focus on their primary vocation as being wives and mothers, but also finding little ways to contribute to um, the professional world and the building of of. Um, just the building up of our culture because we really need mother's voices in building up the culture today. Amen. I want to echo that. It was just going through my mind. We need the voice of mothers like you, Maureen, because you get it. We as guys tend to be a little more compartmentalized, a little more focused on doing things. And you, my wife is so good. She, she, she knows this is what's the good of the family. This is what is the good of these people. This is what we need to do for all people. And thank you for bringing that motherly wisdom to the public square. We appreciate that. Well, as you mentioned, there is a huge, huge, huge case coming up. And uh, it does relate to Roe, but why don't you give our our listeners a little bit of background in case they haven't really been following this about what's coming up here soon on the Supreme Court docket. Sure. Well, your listeners may be hearing about the the Texas abortion law because Mm -hmm. that's what the the media has been very focused on, the Texas abortion law. But that is not where the real game is. The real game in town is a Mississippi law, which bans uh, elective abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And that is the case that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear on its merits. Now, the Texas law, which is a heartbeat law, it bans abortion after uh, the baby's heartbeat can be detected. So that case has also made its way to the Supreme Court and will again next week. Uh, But that is a case that is being argued more on procedural grounds because it's a very sort of unique and quirky uh, law procedurally in terms of enforcement and 
and and these things. So, so the Supreme Court has been hearing appeals on the Texas law, but not on the merits of the law. So again, I would urge your listeners to pay real attention to the Mississippi law. And this is referred to as the Dobbs case. It's uh, Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. And this is the case that will be argued before the Supreme Court on December 1st. And then the court uh, behind closed doors in their conference room will continue to debate and write the opinion. And we probably won't know the result in this case until June. So the Mississippi Dobbs case is the real game in town when it comes to abortion policy. And it is a very clean-cut law in terms of the question it presents to the court. And the court agreed to hear it even though it is a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade, because it clearly bans abortion before the baby is, you know, quote-unquote, viable. And we know that viability is a moving target because viability is really dependent on how good our medical science is and how good our hospitals are at keeping a premature baby alive. But but in terms of abortion jurisprudence, this question of viability is really important. And the Mississippi law directly challenges that. And that is what the Supreme Court agreed to hear, whether all pre-viability bans on abortion are constitutional or, or unconstitutional. So this is a big case. It's really the first time since Roe versus Wade that there is a very real possibility that the court will overturn Roe versus Wade. Wonderful. We're talking with Maureen Ferguson from the Catholic Association about a piece she wrote in the USA Today. And we should probably just mention the name of it. It says, uh, Relic of the Past. Why women don't need Roe versus Wade to flourish now. So you can you can look that up and read the it in its entirety. We're going to talk about it a little more, Marine. You know, one of the things interesting to me, the fifteen week ban. You know, people. You know, the pro-abortion side, people are going, oh my goodness, how can you do this? But really, if you look at the, at the Western European culture, that really were the ones that have kind of the extreme abortion times, aren't we? Aren't they a little more in line with with this uh, proposal from Dobbs? You know, if you examine countries around the world and their abortion policy, the United States is absolutely one of the most liberal, permissive uh, countries in allowing abortion on demand, essentially through nine months of pregnancy. A lot of people don't realize that Roe versus Wade actually legalized abortion through nine months of pregnancy, because even after viability, there there is the most gigantic loophole that if the abortion doctor says it would be good for a woman's health, and health is defined by the Supreme Court as anything from emotional health, financial health, you know, even number of children. So if, if a woman, say, in the seventh month of pregnancy uh, feels she can't afford a child, she can get a legal abortion in the United States. So even third trimester abortion is legal in the United States. And there are almost no countries in the entire world that allow that. Some countries do, like North Korea or China. You know, these are countries known for human rights abuses. So the United States is a total outlier in terms of our very liberal abortion policy. Most European countries you mentioned 
um, many Latin and African countries actually outlaw abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, And many, most European countries only allow abortion in the first trimester. There's a cutoff of 12, 13, 14 weeks. So the Mississippi law cuts off abortion at 15 weeks. So even the Mississippi law is pretty darn permissive in allowing abortion up to 15 weeks of pregnancy. A baby at 15 weeks is very highly developed. I mean, these babies are sucking their thumbs. They have all their fingers and toes. The baby's heart has been beating from about 40 days after conception. So this, this I mean, even 15 weeks it is, you know, and now people who are pro-life, people who are Catholic and understand their faith, know that even a day two abortion is the loss of a human life. So we are opposed to abortion from the moment of conception, the, the, the moment that um, science tells us that a unique and individual human being has been created. So, so again, even a 15-week abortion ban is very permissive. We're talking with Maureen Ferguson of the Catholic Association about the article she wrote in USA Today, Relic of the Past, Why Women Don't Need Roe versus Wade to Flourish Now. A couple things come to mind, Maureen, when you talk about that. Of course, our our more, I shouldn't say astute listeners, but people who have studied a little more know that, of course, the companion case of Roe Doe versus Bolton, as you mentioned, really addressed the health of the mother, right, and really made it Roe and Doe together. You know, abortion on demand all the way up, you know, all nine months. That's that's crazy. And you mentioned other other cases, too, and I just want to quickly talk about the, got about a minute before the break, just uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. There's a, there's a great line, a very telling line in there, of course, written by Justice Anthony Kennedy. It says, in many respects, the decision to abort is the same as the decision to use contraception. People have relied on abortion in the event that their contraception should fail for 20 years, you know, 1973 to 1992. And since we're talking on the Catholic radio station, this contraceptive mentality really plays into the idea that if I control the sexual act, I need to control the fruit of that act, which is a child. So, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, Maureen. Oh, um, well, it's... Abortion as sort of backup contraception Mm -hmm. is very much part of the abortion mentality. And like you said, Justice Kennedy said, this this is called the reliance argument, Mm -hmm. that women have relied on abortion in the case of contraceptive failure. So um, that's why the Supreme Court in the Casey decision that you referred to reaffirmed Roe versus Wade because they said women rely on abortion. They're essentially saying women need abortion to flourish in our society, to be successful. And um, and, and that's, that's a point that we should delve a little deeper into. And we will right after the break. When we come back, one of the unique parts of our article that I just love are these friend of the court briefs. And we will get to them right after this message. You're listening to Real Presence Live and we'll be back right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, 
We want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA, or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. This is Delane Lutz from St. Therese Parish in Rapid City. I also teach at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Elementary School. I teach second grade. And I really love the opportunity to listen to Real Presence Radio as they provide great programming and opportunities for listeners to engage in prayer. I really also appreciate the opportunity to know and grow in my Catholic faith by listening to programs like Catholic Answers. And I'm a regular listener to The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. It's a great source for news and information from a Catholic perspective. Thank you for supporting Real Presence Radio and making it possible for listeners like me to know and grow in my Catholic faith. This is Agnes Lucy, and I'm almost 90 years old. Thank you for listening to Real Presence Radio. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. My name is Tim Mosey, your host today, coming at you from the Fargo studios where we're celebrating Eli's birthday. That's right. It's a wonderful day. And we have Maureen Ferguson on from the Catholic Association talking about her article, Relic of the Past, Why Women Don't Need Roe vs. Wade to Flourish Now. Maureen, one of the things I love about your article is, uh, maybe our listeners might know this, but a lot of the things that happen before the oral arguments are all these briefs, these friend of the briefs, friend of the court briefs that are filed. And you have a very interesting uh, take and analysis on those. Why don't you share that with our listeners? Sure. Well, most Supreme Court cases are actually decided based on the briefs that go back and forth, the written briefs from both sides. Uh, a lot of people focus on the oral arguments, and they're important, of course. But the justices say that they really make up their minds based on the briefs. So I've been reading some of these briefs, and I was really struck with the briefs on the pro-life side versus the briefs on the pro-abortion side. And just the competing visions, are it's so interesting, because the pro-life side The vision there is one of hope, that women don't need abortion, that women can flourish without it. Uh, it, It's a vision of beauty, of compassion and love, of caring for both mother and child. Uh, It reflects the interdependence of human beings, of mother and child, whereas the pro-abortion briefs are very uh, just dark, really. They're hopeless. They're overwrought with despair. They're um, very limited in terms of any thought of resiliency, in terms of, you know, women can overcome difficulties and difficult situations. 
uh, there, there's no hope there in these situations. Women need abortion. There's no other choice here. Um, and and also what's very striking is how discordant these briefs are from the pro-abortion side in terms of pitting mother against child. Um, so, so just to, to kind of turn back to the resiliency of the pro-life argument, says um, there's one brief, for example, from 240 female scholars. Uh, you know, so these are highly successful women saying that we don't need abortion to flourish. And there's an in-depth analysis of women flourishing over the past 50 years since Roe versus Wade. And how have women been able to succeed in terms of educational opportunities and professionally breaking the glass ceiling? And these 240 women scholars analyze what laws allowed women to advance over the past 50 years. And they found that it's educational laws, equity in pay laws, civil rights laws, but it's not the abortion laws. So women's success is not dependent upon abortion if you do sort of a deep dive into the academic literature on these things. So so that I thought was so interesting. Um, other uh, Another brief that I just love was written by a Notre Dame law professor, Carter Sneed, and a Harvard law professor, Marianne Glendon. And they talk about how society should have a more harmonious response to an unplanned pregnancy. And I just, I'd, I'd love to um, read a quote from their brief. They say that one of the fundamental flaws of the thinking behind Roe versus Wade is, it says, it precludes the political branches from seeing the human relationship at the core of this matter as it truly is. These are not strangers fighting over scarce resources, but a mother and child in desperate need of care. And understood in this light, any decent government or community would rush to provide aid and support to mother and baby rather than empowering one party to use violence against the other. And I just I, I love the the arguments there. Um, another brief that I love from the Attorney General of Mississippi. The Attorney General of Mississippi is this very funky Southern woman. Her name is Lynn Fitch, and and she makes the argument that so much has changed over the past fifty years. You know, it's not nineteen seventy three anymore. And back then, in 1973, there was very little support for women who wanted a, a family life and a successful career. You know, maternity leave was a very rare thing. Paternity leave was something we never heard of, right? Mm-hmm. And and the idea of what we were talking about earlier, a sort of a flexible economy and options to work from home, was just not even a thing in 1973. So it, over the past 50 years, women have carved a way to achieve balance between, you know, educational opportunities and career opportunities and their personal and family lives. So it, it's just we live in a different world than we did in 1973. So this argument that somehow women need abortions to succeed, it's so antiquated. It's so dated. It's so, you know, hopeless. And, and I contrast that with what I read in the brief from the abortion lobby. And 
honestly, it was just sort of creepy reading these briefs about, and, you know, it was written from the perspective of the abortion doctors, and they just talked about how, I mean, really creepy, you know, in terms of these are doctors that are extinguishing the lives of fellow human beings. They're literally stopping the beating hearts of a human child. <laughs> and and they write about it, how, you know, it feels so natural to, you know, help women in this way. And it, it was just the most dark, distorted uh, views and vision of reality to say this is the only way that women can succeed by you know, allowing me, their doctor, to extinguish the life of their child. We're talking with Maureen Ferguson about her article in the USA Today. It's so true. I love how you say, you know, the, the relationship is at the heart of it. It's not mother competing against child for scarce resources. This is a woman and child both in need. Let's help them. You know, our, our friends who maybe are, are pro-abortion would agree that once they're outside of the womb, we need to do that. Well, we're just saying, well, this is this is this baby's just a little younger. You know, we, we we need to do that as well. There's also advances in medicine and science that come into play, aren't there, Maureen? Well, that is another way. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's another way that it's not 1973 right. anymore. In 1973, and my colleague, who is a doctor, Dr. Gracie Pozo Christie, filed a brief along with other female doctors. And uh, my colleague, Dr. Gracie Christie, is actually a radiologist. So she does ultrasound. She does fetal ultrasounds all the time. And they actually, in their brief, contrasted what an ultrasound uh, picture looked like in 1973. In 1973, we didn't have much of a window into the womb. These were gray, fuzzy pictures. We didn't have this clear sense of the developing human baby that we do now. Now you can go for a 4D ultrasound at the mall and mm-hmm. see vivid pictures yeah. of your unborn child. You can, I mean, I remember even with my son, and this was 20 years ago, I remember the ultrasonographer looked at my husband who has a very distinct cleft chin. Mm-hmm. And the ultrasonographer said, oh, let me see if the baby has that chin. And and the ultrasonographer said, your baby has his father's chin. <laughs> and sure enough, my baby, who's now a young man, has his father's chin. Wow. Now, even 20 years ago, they could see this on an ultrasound. So, so even our ultrasound technology has changed so much that as a society, you know, we, we're all posting ultrasound pictures of our babies on, you know, the refrigerator and doing these gender reveals. And, you know, they're all over, you know, Facebook and Instagram, our baby pictures, babies in utero. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very, our culture is very different in terms of how much we recognize the humanity of the unborn child. And in terms of medicine, medicine has developed so much in, in over the past 50 years and very much views the unborn child as a patient. That doctors are performing fetal surgery. They're performing surgery in utero on little teeny tiny, you know, pre-born human beings to, you know, correct anomalies in the spine or... Um, you know, whatever, cure kidney problems. They're, 
they're operating on these little teeny tiny organs in utero. So the the baby in utero is very much viewed by medicine as the second patient. You know, when a doctor mm-hmm. is treating a pregnant woman, they recognize they have two patients. So it's so discordant for us to, you know, on one wing of the hospital, be operating to save and cure these little developing unborn children. And then on the other wing of the hospital, doing, you know, a second trimester abortion on a baby that could actually live outside the womb if it were born on the other side of the hospital and sent to the NICU. So it's it's such a um, discordant, it's sort of another disharmonious, uh, way that our abortion culture has so distorted things. And and that brief, uh, written by, again, my colleague at the Catholic Association, Dr. Gracie Christie and other female physicians, is really a beautiful brief. And I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll read to you just a teeny bit of, of what they write about these sonogram images, um, because it's really beautiful and heartwarming. She says, the baby's head, starting with the brain, is a marvel of intricacy, and they see this on the ultrasound. The fetal profile is clear, the gently sloping nose, the distinct upper and lower lips and chin, the baby's mouth opens, so you can even see the tongue moving. The fetal, spine, the fetal spine is often gently curved as the fetus rests against the mother's uterine wall. And it goes on and on, just painting a beautiful picture of life in the womb. Wow, Maureen, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We appreciate it. Again, thecatholicassociation.org, thecatholicassociation.org. Look up Maureen and her friends. We thank you so much, Maureen, for what you're doing for life. Good to be on with you. All right. Thanks so much. Up next, we'll talk with a pro-life warrior who will share her story of decades of work in the pro-life movement right after this. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 